Hello and welcome back to the Bigger Picture Podcast. I'm your host, Channon Zhao. And today I'm so honored to be accompanied with Mr. Dowdy. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, thanks. So let's get straight into it. So when did you start to teach English and how many years have you been teaching it here? I started teaching English in 1979. I was in a... Um, I was living in in the Chicago area, and I uh-huh. started teaching at a, a a school that's actually forty years older than our school here. Hmm. Well, wow. it's a smaller school, oh. mm-hmm. and it was is it a high school? Or? It was sixth grade through twelfth grade when I was there. They've okay. since added or gone back and opened up their elementary school again. So it's K twelve now, yeah. Um, so I was there for three years, and I taught. Um, I mean, the first thing they they handed me was uh, American literature, mm-hmm. and then freshman English. So I had uh, five sections of mm-hmm. of that. I got my job uh, there one week before classes started, so mm-hmm. just just before Labor Day. Mm. Um, and then, um, so I was there for three years. Then I came to uh, NMH in 1982. So I've been here for 40 years. 40 years. Yeah. Wow, that's a really long time. So like. When you started teaching English, um, did you come? Did you start teaching English right after college, or did you sort no, of have a transition? No, after college, I um, I well, I went on to graduate school, and uh-huh. um, I went to the University of Michigan for my graduate school. Yeah, I moved back to Chicago, and I was working in uh, theater. I was a tech director for a college theater. Oh, really? For a while. Oh, interesting. And I did some uh, play directing. Oh, wow. Um, but that job ran, uh, the, the tech director job ran out. And uh-huh. I, um, I had originally thought that I would want to be involved with um, theater publishing. Oh, really? So huh. I contacted a number of publishing companies, but that went nowhere. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, I, I had never intended to teach. That was something that I hadn't really given much serious thought to it all. I had no... Uh, I had no training in education mm-hmm. courses in college or in graduate school, um, which actually mm. my first, the first dean that I uh, worked with, he said that's a that's a plus. You, you know, we don't. Mm. Uh, it's a good thing that you don't have a lot of, of education courses on your resume. But um, why? why? They want to well. I think that in in the private school world, um, uh, there's at least at the time there was a sense that education. Uh, courses tend to push a certain uh, method of teaching that yeah. doesn't really work well with private schools. It's a, for larger mm-hmm. classes. It's mm-hmm. more about um, standardized learning and so forth. Yes. And it, it kind of works against the the personal, individualized yeah. teaching that private schools uh, tend to to hold up as the ideal. Oh, that makes sense. So, so they wanted you to become a more personalized teacher with your background. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. So, so in other words, that wasn't a liability for me. It wasn't. Uh, mm-hmm. It didn't. It didn't. Work, uh, it was not a strike against me. Mm-hmm. But I still didn't know much about teaching, so I was really open to uh, just watching others and paying attention right. and asking a lot of questions and having a lot of people in to to mentor me or to to critique what I was doing, and that's yeah. so I learned mostly by just starting out and doing it. Yeah. That's pretty similar to Mr. V's background. He also didn't really intend to teach, but right. Um, but how did that the teaching job come to you? Like, you, that's the only job that was offered to you, or well, why did you choose that? After one uh, so 
I mean, it became pretty clear to me that um, whatever ideas and really just sort of uh, real unrealistic ideas I had about working in the publishing industry, mm-hmm. that wasn't going to happen. And I thought, well, um, I mean, what I really like doing is is reading and mm-hmm. working with literature and so forth. And I thought, well, yeah, you could look into teaching. So I, I just apply to a whole bunch of of schools in the uh, greater Chicago area, maybe 30 um, um, independent schools in that area, and I, I sent out resumes to most of them. And and uh, as I say, I, I, I didn't get any uh, anything positive back until about one week before the school year started. Huh. This, this school had about 200 students in it, and it was a – a, s- a small uh, day school. school. It had a five night boarding program. The kids, there were about thirty kids that stayed five nights, and then they went home on weekends to other people's homes. And so I, I had that. Um, so, you know, so I went out there. That was, uh, was I had an hour and forty minute commute getting there, and an hour mm-hmm. and forty minute commute. Oh, that's pretty getting long. back. So it was the big deal. And then the third uh, year, I moved on to the campus, and, and uh, we okay. lived in a an apartment, and. And I, I was working in th- with the theater at that school a little bit, and I really enjoyed getting to know the students after hours. Mm-hmm. Because it was a day school, day school, most of my students left as soon as classes were over, and I never had mm. a never had a chance to do any kind of, of one-on-one work, yes. any kind of follow-up with them, yeah. just to have conversations about what we had talked about in class. That didn't happen because the kids were in their cars and heading home yeah. at 3.30. So... Um, to be, you know, that's when I realized, wow, if, if I were t- working at a boarding school, I would have a lot of opportunity to be with, be with my students. And that was important to me. So you love spending time one-on-one with people? You love helping people? Yeah, I guess, directly. I mean, I don't know, love might be really strong, but yes, that was definitely part of my vision of, of being a teacher was to work one-on-one, mm-hmm. to have extended conversations that weren't directly related to class or maybe came out of something we'd been discussing in class. And um, and to just have that opportunity to get to know my students better. Has that always been with you, like, uh, since the start of teaching, or it just came to you the third year, and then after that, it, um, it stuck with you? No, well, I mean, partly, so I, I had gone to a college in which I got to know my professors really well. And yeah. It was important to me to have that relationship because a lot of what worked for me in college was having those conversations one on one in my professor's offices and yeah, of and course, yeah, raising questions and and pursuing things that had come up in class. And so that was part of my idea of of what it means to be a teacher. And I was, mm-hmm. um, I mean, mm-hmm. the first year I was just just. I could only, I only had energy to just keep my nose above the water. It was yeah. it was uh it was incredibly stressful. But yeah. but by the second <laughs> and third yeah. year I realized um that I probably wasn't gonna drown unless I really messed up. And then then I began to realize this could be e- even more fulfilling and, and helpful, both mm-hmm. fulfilling to me and helpful to my students if I could meet with students uh, outside of class. Uh so you sort of found a personal purpose yeah. in teaching. Yeah. yeah. Back in my first school, I uh, you know, I, I um it wasn't I wasn't part of the boarding yeah. program uh, such as it was. It was just really small as I say, but um so coming here, I moved into a dorm right the fir- you know, the first week and yeah. um 
you know, so I went from wanting to have some contact to having 24 hours <laughs> to, to contact. Yeah. It was fine. It was, it was um, fine. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a total immersion. So not only then did I work and live in a dorm. So I lived on the Northfield campus for the uh-huh. first two years. Northfield was the girl. Well, girl it was up until 1971. I didn't get okay. there until 1982. So uh-huh. for 11 years, it had been uh, integrated just as this campus. Oh, uh, okay. okay. Um, so I, I wasn't part of that big um, merger of the two schools. Yeah. But... Um, um, not only then did I live in a dorm, but then I was uh, expected to do sports, coach with sports. So I worked with the um, girls' soccer teams. Oh, really? You and, coached uh, soccer? Well, I was assistant coach. Uh-huh. Yeah, I wasn't the main coach. Uh-huh. Um, and um, it, was, it was just all around an immersion, a full life yeah. immersion. Every, 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 here you are at the school, you're living in the school, you're eating at the school, yeah. you're Sleeping at the school. I mean, it's totally you know, your whole life is here. Yeah, and uh, so I did get to know a lot of students, and I did get to have conferences with students, and I had a space to have those conferences, and um, uh-huh. that was really important. Again, it was a big, steep learning curve because I yeah. was teaching courses that I hadn't taught before. That must be pretty challenging. It was. It yeah. was. Um, what was great was that uh, we had a big department back then. We had mm-hmm. 23 people in our department. Mm-hmm. And so there was plenty of opportunity for me to sit in on classes and, and learn work from with teachers and so yeah. forth. Huh. So um, uh, I was teaching freshmen and I was teaching. We had a, a the NMH had a, a required course for students who were new as juniors. We called it New Junior English. Uh-huh. And there were, uh, I think, five of us who taught new juniors. And uh-huh. so, um, uh, again, a whole, a whole learning curve with uh, the, the curriculum and the required mm-hmm. courses, uh, required reading for that. So what was particularly different between the uh, NMH system and um, the, the, the previous school system? Um, in... in here now this is back in the early 80s yeah. so it was still kind of a new idea to have desks arranged in a in a circle, circle. Or a square yeah. uh-huh. uh, where i had been teaching it, it was expected that desk would be in a in a row rows yes yeah. um so that was that changed the the class dynamic a little bit not a whole lot but uh-huh. it changed it a little bit it made it a little more intentional to have class discussions yes um the emphasis here was not uh, as strong on, mm, at least in the upper upper levels, mm-hmm. uh, it, it wasn't as strong on uh, grammar. Uh, mm-hmm. Back at my other school, it had been a pretty important component of the curriculum. Mm. Um, here, I had um, I had a, a lot of leeway as to what I w- I would teach, mm-hmm. in, especially in my new junior class, the mm-hmm. freshman course. Uh, fall semester uh, each year was uh, built on Homer's Odyssey, mm-hmm. and um, and we and here we had course group meetings. So all the, all the freshman English teachers would meet on Friday mornings, and we would t- talk about how the week had gone and what mm-hmm. we were planning for the next week. Mm-hmm. And then we met as new junior English teachers. So there was just a lot more. Um, well, there were first of all a lot more English teachers, yeah, and then secondly, um, we uh, just a, a lot of support. 
That, mm. was, that was very helpful. At our department meetings, we're, um, we had them uh, every month. We alternated from one campus to the other. And that was another mm-hmm. place where I just realized the, the, the really wide array of teaching styles. Mm-hmm. You had lecturers, you had discussion people, you had people who were really big on writing, other people who were big on reading, mm-hmm. um, people who did this, people who did that. And I realized mm-hmm. that um, there is uh, no one way, no two ways, no five ways of, of teaching English. It's, it's, very, uh, it's, it's a very... It can be very personalized according to the teacher and uh, and according to the students that that teacher has that year. So how would the board of director of overseeing English sort of manage all of these different teaching styles? Because it could go anywhere, right? Like, well, it was, yeah, his name was Mr. Clark. Uh-huh. He, had, he had been here for a long time. He came in 1954. <sighs> um, 19- he... Yeah. He didn't try to manage us. Uh-huh. What he did so beautifully was to enable us. So mm-hmm. he, he made himself available to help us do what we needed to do, what we wanted to do or needed to do. So he, um, he was very helpful in um, supplying resources for us to mm-hmm. do professional study. He was very helpful in sitting in on classes and giving his comments and feedback. Mm-hmm. He was very helpful in, in getting uh, small groups or large groups of, of English teachers together to work over things. We did, as a department, try to work um, on a couple of things in common. For instance, this school was had a big emphasis, our department had a big emphasis on pre-writing, so getting mm-hmm. ready to write and not just jumping in and writing. So we had a lot of pre-writing mm-hmm. Um, As training outline or well, outlining is only one method. We did free writing. We free did writing. brainstorming. Uh-huh. We did mapping. We did um, um, other, you know, other techniques that that we taught each other that had worked. People go off to conferences. They go off to graduate school in the summer. Mm-hmm. And they come back with ideas and then they share it with the department. And so, a lot of what mm. Mr. Clark did was to um, have meetings in which we. Um, you know, we, we taught each other, and we shared things that worked, and we also shared things that didn't work, and let's see if we could make them work. Yeah, so not only is our, our students learning, you guys are learning oh, at all the same the time. time. All the time. All the time. All the time. Improving yeah. all the time. Yeah. yeah. And with your 40 years, you, would you say you've changed a lot? From oh, com- yeah. Completely? Many times. <laughs> <laughs> so how did your style of teaching come about because I mean there's all kinds of teaching and what, what, what um, is your style like? Well, my I started with a uh, so back in the in the my first school, um, I probably did a lot more lecture style. Mm-hmm. That was um, what I had been used to in college. Yeah, and, um, and I was uh, it was a standardized ways of teaching yeah it seemed to be yeah yeah and then gradually i i became both more um adept at and comfortable with leading a discussion rather or or building in time for discussion in my classes Mm -hmm. and getting the feedback and getting students to talk to each other Mm -hmm. um i also spent a lot of time in my first years um uh, sort of with a lot more objective uh, work in terms of vocabulary building, grammar mm-hmm. skills, mm-hmm. 
um, setting up essay writing and so forth. Mm -hmm. And over time, I have uh, dropped some of that, changed some of that, found different ways to do that. Um, So uh, 13 years ago, I started the Big Books class. Mm -hmm. And um, in some ways, that represents my probably my best uh, or probably represents what I do best, and that is mm-hmm. to have uh, students take the lead in terms of they, they choose the books they want to read. Um, they choose what we're going to talk about each day. They, they come into the room and put passages on the board that they want to talk about, page numbers that they want to talk about. And so um, it, it's not exactly a Harkness discussion, but it's, it's sort of like a Harkness where it's, the, it's student-led, student-directed, and I'm there to... Um, you know, to do some traffic direction, but also to add some background to keep keep the discussion somewhat focused and so forth. And um, in some ways, I think that's my my most comfortable style. But it took me mm. a long time to get there. Mm. So you, you have would to, you have to mm. you have to learn how to trust students, and mm-hmm. you have to um, yeah. be confident. And students have to be confident that you know what you're doing. If if you feel like I don't know if this will work, <laughs> yeah, uh, it probably won't. Yeah. But if you if you say let's give this a try, I think we can do this, and expect that, you know, sometimes it won't be as as good as other days. But um, overall, it seems to be a, a pretty effective way for me to teach. Uh, that seems like a massive shift. It was from yeah. you being the person leading the conversations, yeah. lecturing, yeah. talking all the time to letting students now do the talking and you're sort of observing and then providing feedback. Yeah, I would say I'm just observing. I mean, I, yeah. I am doing that, but I'm also, I, I'm, I'm participating, but not, yeah. I'm not. Um, but you're not like directing it in any I, direction. I, I would say, I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not dictating it. Yeah. I might be directing it, but I'm not, uh-huh. I'm not, I'm not in charge of everything okay. that gets said. And mm-hmm. I'm not. And there are things that I think should be covered that they get skipped, and sometimes I'll draw attention to that. Often I just say, "Well, this this, this year's group decided not to deal with that, and that's fine." Why Why do you choose this particular way? Is you, you feel it would benefit students to? Well, partly it's the who are the students. I, I'm yeah. not sure I would do that with every student uh, group, mm-hmm. and and people who take that particular course tend to be. Uh, I don't have to convince them to be. To to I don't have to, to convince them to read. I mean, yeah. Any senior who takes a course called Big Books, <laughs> D-Block of their sp- senior spring, <laughs> has to have a pretty strong commitment to Motivation, reading to begin yeah. with, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and because it's an elective, they're signing up for it, most of them. A couple of them are put in there because of schedule conflicts, but most people are choosing that. So that makes mm-hmm. a very big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're teaching a class that's required and there's, you know, 16 people in that class and half of them don't want to be there, half of them don't want to be there. <laughs> well, and, and, and they're younger students, um, yeah. then you're probably going to have to take a lot more leadership than you would if you, if it's a different group. Oh, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. So, so, so a lot of it depends yeah. on who, who, who the class is, you know, the class. Uh-huh. I mean, the thing about teaching is it's always a relationship. So it's the teacher and the students. It's never just the teacher. Yeah. So the teacher has to be uh, ready and able to adjust to mm-hmm. whoever's sitting in front of him or her or sitting around him or her um, and not just impose something that worked 
15 years ago and, and assume that it works for every class. It doesn't. Hmm. So at the start of each school year, you would observe what, what the classroom, what the students well, were like. And, yeah, and then when we went to the, uh, the trimester system in 98, and then we went to the semester system in 2005, mm-hmm. you, you're doing that several times a year. And I, what I did was mm-hmm. uh, very early on in my time here, I started meeting with every student outside of class for half an hour and just to mm. get to know them. Hmm. That might be the only meeting I would have with them for that term, but it also might be the first of many meetings. I left it up to them. But the first meeting was a required meeting. So I said, every one of you needs to come in sometime in the next three to four weeks and meet with me, and I just need to get to know you. I don't oh, want wow. to teach I don't want to teach people that... I, I won't be a very good teacher if I don't know who it is I'm teaching. So uh, a really I'm a better teacher point. if I know mm-hmm. who you are, where you're from, about your family where you were in school last year, maybe it was this school, maybe it was another school, what works for you in English, what doesn't, what are your mm. interests, what are your plans. Um, that, that helps me just uh, have a much better sense of what I'm doing as a teacher if I know who my students are. That's so interesting. When did you start doing that? I don't know exactly, but I think probably by my second year here, back in 83. That early? I think so. Wow. Yeah, because I've been, I've been doing it for every class, I think, mm-hmm. since then. And, and, I mean, I haven't always done it with my big books class because yeah. I, have, um, I have other ways. They, they do an awful lot of writing about, about their ideas and their thinking. But almost every other class that I've taught, I've done that. Were you inspired by um, your peers back then? To have this, or it sort of no, just came I think to it you. just I, I think it came out of just um, a need that I recognized within me to to know who who are you. I, I mm-hmm. just had a lot of curiosity to know, you know, where where do you live? What do mm-hmm. your parents do? Do you have pets at home? <laughs> you know, I, I mean, no big sophisticated questions here. I just wanted to yeah. get to know them, and not not a lot of teachers do this. Though. I'm like surprised where? to hear that. Um, but I also yeah. wanted them to be able to ask me questions. I think, uh-huh. um, you know, it's important. Because in an English class, if you are asking people to share their writing, mm-hmm. um, that can be a really intimidating experience unless they already have some trust of the people that are going to hear their writing. Mm-hmm. So one thing that's important to do is to build a, 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 a classroom trust Mm -hmm. people feel like we we can relax here we can trust each other we can laugh Mm -hmm. we can say things that won't get us into trouble Mm -hmm. um or that could get us into trouble in another class or another Mm -hmm. another environment so it's just letting students be comfortable with this environment that's a big part and that really makes a difference in how they write oh because if I know that I'm going to be reading my paper out loud and everybody's going to criticize it or make fun of it yeah. or hold me responsible for something mm-hmm. that um, is uncomfortable, then that's going to change what I write. Yeah, and there's like that panic and stress factor with students yeah. and everything. So to try to eliminate that, yeah. we, need to, we need to have some fun together and we need to build a relationship with each other as well as with, you know, with the teacher. Sounds amazing. So speaking of students, do you have any students? I mean, you've been here for 40 years. Do you have any students that are particularly memorable for you that stuck with you? Oh, many, many. Many. Many, yeah. yeah. Can you name one example? 
or it's just too. I have I have a couple. I, re- I mean, there was a fellow that was in my post grad class mm-hmm. years and years and years and years ago, back in the uh, either late eighty nine, ninety, or, or maybe ninety two, ninety three. After I got back from my sabbatical, um, he mm-hmm. came to NMH. Uh, he was a wrestler. He was a uh, all American wrestler. Mm. One of the few that we've had. He had. Um, he was. He was built like a, <laughs> you know, a tank. He was, um, yeah. and he was kind of no nonsense. Uh, his father was uh, a, a big a coach on the on the in, over in the Boston area for high school. Yeah. In other words, he was all about sports and uh-huh. he was all about wrestling. And uh-huh. he was a he was a pretty quiet fellow in class. Huh. And that's back when we had year-long classes. And sometime in January or February, uh, I don't know exactly what we had been talking about, mm-hmm. but um, I think we had been reading uh, King Lear by Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And um, whatever we were talking about, um, he just got very interested in it. And he, he asked me, um, he was also taking a, a religious studies class that mm-hmm. that semester and or that term and he 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 saw some parallels between what we were doing in our class and what he was doing in his religious studies class and so he um he said is there like could you recommend another book for me to read i'm really fascinated by what we're talking about so i gave him the name of a book um it was a short book abolition of man by c.s lewis it's about uh maybe 120 pages but it's it's pretty heady stuff i mean it's it's pretty big on on philosophy and um so i said so you know you might want to read this over march break or during your summer vacation Mm -hmm. and it'll it'll be challenging to you but if Mm -hmm. you're interested you know read what you can Mm -hmm. so that was on a thursday he came back on monday he said okay i read that book over the weekend uh (laughs) have another book like that (laughs) i was really surprised (laughs) and i you know was he a reader before that not really no so it's sort of like the so, opposite of what you would expect. Yeah, you? so uh, at the end of the year, we were talking uh, as a class. We were finishing up, and I was asking them to reflect and comment on their year of a, as a postgraduate. And he said, um, so you guys, you know, I, you all know me as the wrestler, but um, and that's what people back home know me as, and that's my identity. Or that's been my identity. But this year I realized that I'm also the philosopher. And he said, that's how wow. I choose to think of myself from now on. And so... That is amazing. That was quite a... I mean, you know, 30 years later, I still remember that story pretty clearly. I had another that's student incredible. who... Um, we were reading um, Everything That Rises Must Converge, which is a story by Flannery O'Connor. Uh-huh. And it's the story of uh, a young man and his widowed mother um, down in Atlanta, just about the time of the civil rights... Um, uh, changes in uh, public transportation, buses, and so forth for um, Black Americans, and um, it was real easy uh, as we read the story to see how um, you know how old-fashioned and patronizing his mother was toward, especially toward Black children. But but she was, um, you know, it was really easy to figure out her her racism. Mm-hmm. So we spent a day talking about her, mm-hmm. and then um, the next day I said, so let's talk about the young man. Mm-hmm. So we spent most of our time 
talking about her yesterday. Let's talk about Julian, the young man today. Mm-hmm. And we got to talking, and one of my postgrad uh, girls said, right in the middle of class, she just she just dropped her jaw. She said, "Oh, I I get it. He's a racist too." <laughs> I mean. And what she realized was that even though the story is told from his point of view, he's the mm-hmm. narrator. He's, um, I mean, he's, he's not the narrator, but the narrator's inside his head. Mm-hmm. And he's very, very condescending toward his mother. He's very embarrassed about his mother. He's very, he, he just thinks that his mother is so old-fashioned and racist. And, and it's real clear that he doesn't uh, agree with anything his mother thinks. But as we talked about it, we realized that he, in his way, is just as patronizing and just as stereotyping and just as, um, um, you know, he had yeah. his his ways of, of working with, uh, he was using um, African Americans in his way to get his agenda against his mother. Mm-hmm. And and the, the, the big realization for this girl in the class was, so the narrator... Just because the narrator says it doesn't mean that the narrator is right. Mm-hmm. And she had this moment of mm. realizing that a narrator can be ironic, a narrator can be unreliable. Mm-hmm. And that really changed from that moment on how she read, how she read because she mm-hmm. realized that um, it's up to the reader to have to discern whether the narrator is, is reliable or trustworthy or not. Mm. And that that suddenly she got very involved with the reading, whereas before she'd mostly just been taking notes and sort of only participating yeah, when called on, and then suddenly yeah. she got really charged up, and that was a big aha moment for her. And I was, I was really happy for her. You probably would have had so many aha moments in your class. I hope so. There are years. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... And, and a lot of those aha moments are, are for me. Really, I had one just a couple of weeks ago. I was, I was teaching a book I've never taught before. I've only read uh, once before I started teaching it a couple of weeks ago. It was All the Pretty Horses with uh-huh. my PGs, and um, there's a, a scene at the back of the book at the novel at the end of the novel that I just didn't have a lot of context for. I didn't really understand a lot about why it was in there. And then in war- working it through with my PGs a couple of weeks ago, about two weeks ago. Um, right in class, I thought, oh, oh, I, oh, look at that. And I was, I said, just a minute. And I started writing down notes <laughs> to myself in the, in my, in my book. It's just like, okay, I got to remember this. You know, this is, this is, okay, finally I, I get why this, this scene is here. Oh, so like with your students discussion. Yeah, right in front you, of them. You are. Yeah. Like, <laughs> wow. It all clicks because we were reading it. We were talking about yeah. it, reading it aloud. And I, I was trying so hard to help them, help me. And I was trying to get, get them to think about huh. how this fits in. And uh-huh. then somebody said something, and I thought, "Click, oh, yeah. wow, think about that. And then the, I thought, oh, wait, watch. And then the whole thing just like, whew, uh, there it was. <laughs> so it's like a role change. The students became the teacher yeah. for a moment, and you became the student. Well, I've always, I've always said that. Yeah. You know, people say, how many students are in your class? So if I have 13, I'll say, well, there's 14. 14. <laughs> if I have twelve, I'll say there's thirteen. You're the because I'm the other student. Yeah, the student. I'm, I'm the other student. You're learning from yourself and um, and I learn from my students and students and everyone. Yeah, and that is that is the great thing about teaching is that you learn from your students. Mm-hmm. You know, it, and it's not just um, 
it's not a, just a one-way street here. That sounds amazing. I mean, I just wanted to get back to this one point um, before we move on from teaching is um, a lot of students have been talking about your sort of strict way of grading and also the way you teach writing theses and arguments, essays. So why do you choose to grade writing or teach writing in, in the particular way that you choose to? Because um, we've been talking mostly about like discussion and reading. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not, um, uh, well, I'm not sure what, what they have in mind. Mm-hmm. And I've never really, um, my attitude toward grades is somewhat um, schizophrenic. Mm. Um, what does that mean? It means that on one hand, I really detest everything to do with grades. Mm. I don't know any student's grade until the night before I have to turn it into the registrar. I don't. Oh, keep, you don't even know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't care, and I don't keep track of, of those. I mean, I record them, uh-huh. um, and I. Um, but I couldn't tell you if it's a, you know, if it's a. I just I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't tell you if you had a eighty-seven percentile or a ninety-one point four percentile. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I have uh-huh. a general sense of who who is excelling, who needs some yeah, help, who and who help, doesn't yeah. need so much help. But um, mm-hmm. I can't. T- I I don't keep track of grades, mm-hmm. and I don't put grades on papers when I return them. I have I write a grade down for myself to look at, but I don't. I don't want students responding to grades when they get their papers back. I want them responding to comments. Because mm. nobody learns how to write from looking at a grade. They learn how of to write course. from getting feedback from their readers and saying, this worked for me, or this was confusing, or I like this, or I wish you had said more about this. That's how you learn to write. Yeah. So I don't want them distracted by looking at a grade and letting a grade tell them whether they should rewrite the paper or not. So uh-huh. I always give them the option to rewrite. Uh-huh. But... Th- but if they um, if they want to know the grade, then they they've just canceled out the option. Oh, so uh, if they if they sense. don't ask about the grade, mm-hmm. then they're they're reading the comments and they're making a, an intelligent decision about um, about the writing itself, not about mm-hmm. the grade. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the that's the side of me that wants nothing to do with grades. Mm-hmm. The other hand. Um, uh, the school rightly requires grades. Yeah, and so and I do. I do grade, and um, I don't know. I ha- I mean, I have a rubric that I use that I've used most of my career uh-huh. of what an A is, and I and I publish this with my 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 course overview every every beginning yeah, of every, every class. Yeah. But I know what an A paper looks like. I know what a B paper looks like. More or less, uh, a C paper and so forth, and I yeah, publish that because like there, I I feel like there's just great inflation in the past. Oh, there is huge. But then you you are completely unaffected. No, no, not or, at all. My grades now are are so light compared to what really what I used to grade. Yeah, mm, interesting. I mean, uh, yeah, no, the the I've been affected, and then everyone. Uh, then when we went to Canvas, I didn't even the first time we went to Canvas, I didn't even recognize my grade. I'd never seen so many t- <laughs> high grades. I thought I don't. Know, I must have done this all wrong. <laughs> and I went asking for help to do the grade thing in Canvas, and I got some help with that. But, um, but I so even though I I don't like grading, if we have to grade, then I want the grades to mean something. Yeah, I don't want that to become an empty exercise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
definitely. I mean, kids talk about how uh, strict I am, but the fact is my reading quizzes, which I give a lot of, uh, it's a very lenient grade system. Mm-hmm. Five-question quizzes, if you get five right, that's an A, four is a B, three is a C. Well, think about that. If you get, uh, uh, th- you know, three, which is 60%, in my system, that's a C. Mm-hmm. It's 10% more. 10, 15 percent. So, like that. in yeah. most in most classes, seventy would be the lowest C minus. I'm giving a C for sixty percent. Mm. I mm. even give out credit for people who get. Um, and, and if you get one point, that's a. a um, so so two. I mean two points. That's a D. Mm-hmm. That's forty percent. You're still getting a D. You haven't failed. Mm. So I'm not yeah. sure why people think I'm so strict. Mm. I've never figured that one out. <laughs> But I, I, I mean, I feel like yeah. I don't do a lot of grade. I don't put grades on everything, but I write, I write extensive comments. That that's I, I write. Like that's sometimes what I'll write more need, yeah. in my com- more. There will be more words in my comments than there are in their text. Really? Yeah. Wow. I don't think that's something to be proud of, but that's how I do. I just oh, I just respond a lot. I read everything at least twice, sometimes three times, and I I comment voluminously and that to me is helps me figure out what i am grading on and helps them figure out what they need to work on and for me i would have really appreciated that because that's how my writing would get to the next level is from feedback well i I really appreciate that you you do that well, yeah, now let's sort of come back to reading. Whatever you like. <laughs> yeah. So, um, obviously, you're teaching big books. That means you love reading. I do. So, yeah, h- how many books do you read? Like, Do you have a number for um, how many books you read per year, per day, per week? I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, first of all, I know that I am a fairly slow reader uh, uh-huh. compared to people uh, in my profession. Um. So no, I don't. I don't read an amazing number of books. I would like to, mm-hmm. and I intend to mm-hmm. in, in retirement. But um, the other thing is, I I don't retain much the first time through a book. So I, mm-hmm. if it's a book I like, mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty sure bet that I'll be rereading it. So mm. um, a lot of what I do is read a second or third time, and and there are probably ten books that I teach that I've read. Uh, you know, or have taught somewhere between 25 and 35 times. Mm-hmm. Um, right now we're doing Catch-22 with big books, mm-hmm. and I think this is my 32nd time through that with my my students. Mm. Um, so Anthony mm-hmm. is another one that I've taught forever, stories mm-hmm. of Flannery O'Connor. But apart from all that, um, you, you asked about how much do I read. New I don't, books, yeah. I, I try yeah. to read. First of all, I try to include one something new every every term that i teach mm-hmm. um or if it's not new something that i haven't taught in years so mm-hmm. a few years ago i picked up outlaws outcasts and castaways it's, mm-hmm. a, it's an elective course mm-hmm. and um i put in native son by richard wright mm-hmm. i hadn't taught native son since my years back in chicago mm-hmm. so it's been 35 years since i had taught mm. that book wow so it seemed like a new book to me because mm-hmm. there's a lot that i had forgotten mm-hmm. but um I read, I mean, my, my preference is always fiction. I like mm-hmm. long fiction. I like to get lost in a book. I think that's fun. <laughs> and I also like short stories a great deal. Mm-hmm. 
And given my theater background, I read a lot of plays, and mm-hmm. I like plays. A lot of people don't like plays, or they don't include plays in their curriculum. Mm-hmm. I try to include plays in almost all my classes. Mm. Um, th- what I don't read a lot of is... Um, nonfiction? Or? Well, I, I actually do read quite a bit of nonfiction. I'm, I'm a big uh, news and current events freak. Mm-hmm. And I read, um, but I, I, I don't read a lot of poetry. Mm-hmm. Poetry and I have had a pretty <laughs> troubled relationship yeah. at times. Uh, and, understandable. Um, uh, I don't read a lot of theory. I, I, I'm uh-huh. not much of an abstract thinker. Yeah. So okay. I, I will read nonfiction if, I, I, I like biography, but I don't like, um, I don't like, uh, there's a lot of essays that just go way over my head, or I don't take Like those time. scientific ones? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, if it gets too technical, I'm <laughs> done with it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, understandable. I do like reading, um, you know, I'm, I'm, it's kind of, I'm also a, kind of a big magazine reader, although mm. magazines are hard to find these days, but uh, yeah, uh, I like, you know, I like that length of an article. I like the kind of audience that a magazine is pitched to. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I read, but I don't read outstanding numbers. I mean, I've had colleagues that read really read one or two books a week, every week of school. And I thought, how do you do that? <laughs> how do you do that? Yeah. They were very efficient at grading. I'm not. Huh. So I will take... Um, so you take your time. A long time yeah. with a paper. Not because I want to, but because I just don't have the the concentration paper power that yeah. some of my colleagues have. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I get restless and I get distracted easily. Mm-hmm. So it just takes me long. And so I don't have the time to read that I would like to read. Mm. Yeah, that sounds interesting. So, do you have a number in your head, or kind of like how many books you read per year? New books, let's say. New books, maybe four or five. Four or five, but there are still lengthy books. Um, like, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Those. No. Huh. So um, it varies. It varies. Yeah. Uh, that sounds interesting. So you do you read mostly for teaching, or you still have a decent amount for your own leisure? Um. I would say um, it's rare when I read a book just for my own pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, almost every book I pick up that's related, well, I would say most of the books that I pick up, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, there's always the thought in the back of my head, would this be one that I would use in my class? Mm, okay. Or could, would this fit, would this be a, a, a substitute for a book that I have taught a lot? So, but I'm, you would still enjoy the book because you enjoy. Yeah, but it, it, there's something like when it becomes work, you don't enjoy it that much. Is that yeah, I was just gonna say there's something that you know if you have that that nagging thought, maybe I should be thinking about this as a possible title for one of my classes. Yeah, something gets no, I lost. I guess you. Yeah, it, it, it's not quite the passion as is gone. Yeah. Um, and there are, there's always moments in a, in a novel when I make that decision, no, I couldn't use this, or maybe I will. If I, if I um, figure out I probably would never use this in a class, then, then I read faster and I read with a little more enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> I think, okay, I, I, don't have to, I don't have to be thinking about this as a possibility. Mm-hmm. I you just, just read it because I want to read this. The, yeah. Get lost in the fiction, yeah. like you said. I get lost in it. Yeah. yeah. So um, you have any favorite books? Oh. I don't know how long you have here, but uh, uh, I <laughs> you can go on for an hour. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, so I give my um, 
my big books class is a list of, of 54, 55 titles. And I say, rank these. How, which of these would you like to, to do? And I also have them write in uh, if they have a title they want to include. But all of those 54 books would be among my favorites. They're books that I think um, I would really enjoy teaching any one of these. You have a number one in your head? or No, it's just all of them are just too good. and Too many. Too yeah. many. Yeah. Too different. That's totally fine. It's sort of yeah. whatever book I'm teaching at the moment is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Because when you, when you start reading actively, when you start getting in, engaged in a book, you just realize this is such a good book. Yeah. This is such a good book. I love this book. <laughs> and then two weeks later, you're on a different book. Ah, oh, this is such a good book. <laughs> I, I love this book, too. Yeah. So it, it's always changing like that. So how, um, this would be a pretty difficult question, but how would you convince someone that doesn't usually read to read and, or start enjoying reading? Because there's... The population of reading, I don't know if yeah. I'm right, is, is declining. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, with social media and everything, like, yeah. people prefer to watch a 10-minute YouTube video than to read, spend, like, four hours reading a book. You know right. what I'm saying? Um, I'm going to give you an analogy. Yes. Let's say, uh, well, I should ask you what sport are you interested in? Soccer. Soccer, okay. All right. So if you uh, were not on a soccer team, mm-hmm. but you wanted to, to uh, really get into soccer, mm-hmm. you have a couple of choices. One, you can, um, you can go to the dining hall that night and ask somebody, were you at the game? Were you at the, who won? Mm-hmm. Okay, and they'll tell you, oh, we won. Okay, what was the score? Uh, I was seven to two. Okay, mm-hmm. great. Um, so now you've got some information about the game, and that makes you feel good, right? Mm. Okay, that's one experience of reading, getting mm-hmm. that, that basic information. Mm-hmm. Another way of, of doing that would be saying, okay, um, well, I couldn't make it to the game, but I can't wait to read the, the, the story about it. on Like watch a highlight or whatever. Or watch a video of it. So you do that. Okay, mm-hmm. so... You you get some you you have somebody tell you maybe you ask some questions who made the goals um, how did the other team look was there anything really you know unusual about it? and they tell you okay now you're in a deeper level of experiencing like, that yeah game. A glimpse and pictures of it um, and then if you really want to get involved with it you might uh, read the sports writers write up of it right mm-hmm. and maybe there's a, a sidebar interview maybe there's a, a three minute video clip that you can watch and now you're really into that game mm-hmm. okay. Better yet would be for you to next week go to the game and sit in the yeah, stands and, and really watch the whole thing, because now you're you're not just in it for the information. Now you're there for the experience of it, mm-hmm. and you're standing up with the crowd and you're shouting and you're going oh and you go yay! And you're, <laughs> you're feeling all the emotions. And you're actually participating within yeah, the game. The emotions, you're, not, yeah. you're not pushing the ball around, but you are participating in the game. You're having an experience uh-huh. that you won't get if you just wait for the for the And, and just watch the highlights or watch, see yeah. the scores. And then the most uh, involved way of getting of doing soccer is to get Play. on the field. Yeah. The same thing is true with books. Hmm. If we read a story just for the information, mm-hmm. we will come away with some information. Mm-hmm. 
but we come away with information. How many bits of information do we take in per hour per day? And the information about that story just is just more information that we file away somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's just information. Yes. Most of the reading that we do in the course of a day is for information. Science class, philosophy class, pretty much, not necessarily, but certainly science class, math class, mm-hmm. um, political history class. We take an econ class. We read uh, something for our health ed class. Mm-hmm. That's information. That's Yeah, that's the first level, superficial level. And um, we might read online news. Yeah. That's information, right? Yeah. We might read a Skin movie review things. for the weekend yeah. to see if we want to go see this movie. That's information. Okay. So most of what we read is information. The college counseling office sends out something. That's information. The Swipe dean's office sends yeah. us something. That's more information. So the information, that's, that's 98% of the reading that we do. Mm-hmm. When we come into a literature class, we have to learn how to read all over again. We have to learn to read not for information, but for experience. Mm. So now we're not interested in the information. There will be information, but that's not why we're reading it. We're reading it to get the experience. And to do that, we have to, we have to slow down, first of all. Mm-hmm. We have to pay attention to the words that the writer uses, second. Mm-hmm. And thirdly, we have to picture those words. Mm-hmm. So if the writer talks about um, um, you know, a moment when um, uh, this this person is standing on the train platform waving goodbye mm-hmm. to her best friend, we have to stop, and, and it's not important to know what the name of the train is or where the train's going. What's important to know is, is for us to imagine standing on that platform with her, waving to our best friend, going goodbye, knowing that we'll never see that person again. And how does that feel? So we have yeah. to we have to play that out. We have to we have to imagine that. We have to picture that. We have to we have to Get remember zone, when did yeah. we have an experience like that? Mm-hmm. And then we take that that emotion, that feeling, and we go back and read that paragraph again, and we realize, oh wow, that is that. That's deep. That is a big moment in her life. Mm-hmm. She's saying goodbye, and we have to really feel that. When we feel it, so here's the here's the deal. When we feel it. Mm-hmm. Now we are having that same experience mm-hmm. because anytime you feel something, you're experiencing it. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't do feelings in your head. Mm-hmm. So you're not you're feeling it in here, down in your in your gut, mm-hmm. and you're having that experience as much as she's having it there on the platform. You're having it sitting in your bed reading your book. You're having that same experience. Mm-hmm. Now you are living her life as well as your own life. Mm-hmm. That's when reading becomes alive. Is when we can picture it. When mm-hmm. we can imagine it, when we it, it comes to life, when we participate to the point where we feel what the character is feeling, mm-hmm. that is the the primary way to motivate people to read. Mm-hmm. Get rid of this idea that it's all about information. Mm-hmm. There is information, but that's not why we're reading this story. We're reading this story in order to experience what this character experienced, that human experience. Mm. So, so I mm. can experience being uh, a 19th century, 21-year-old woman in a upper-middle-class family in England mm. who has just... Um, <clears throat> turned down a proposal for marriage by the richest man in, in that whole section of the country. Mm-hmm. 
I'm talking about Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, which we, we read in big books frequently. Kids mm-hmm. want to read that. I don't have to have lived back then. I don't have to be a, a woman to, to experience something of what Elizabeth is, is experiencing when she turns down Mr. Darcy's offer. Mm-hmm. Because I've experienced it. I've felt the way she felt. I felt her anger. I felt her shame. I felt her, um, her impatience with him. I felt the, um, the humiliation of the way he talked to her. I feel it because I've been humiliated. I know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm, I'm picturing her situation, but I'm experiencing it as if it were mine. And suddenly I feel like I'm in that world. And how great. I mean, I'm sitting here in Beverage 115, but I'm, I'm actually experiencing life in 18th century England. Right over there in Beverage Hall, it's happening. I'm in another place, another world. I'm another person without having to leave the building. So your perspective of the, of the world would completely change? Probably. If I'm, yeah. if I'm living her experience, it would be different than the, my experience of, of David Dowdy, you bet. <laughs> so, that, so what are the benefits of doing that? Well, the benefits are huge because now I have a much bigger perspective on life. I have someone else's perspective. I have a, a different understanding of, of a time period. I understand that for her, um, I mean, not only understand, but I feel what it's like to be her because she has just turned down the offer of a lifetime, an offer that everybody else would have taken. He's the richest man around. Mm-hmm. And what is she going to do? She um, she can't go out and she can't become a doctor because this is 18th century England. You know, mm-hmm. she can't. Um, um, you know, she she uh, can't live on her own because women are not really expected to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, she won't become a a, a lawyer. She won't be. There's no ad agencies for her. So, in other words, she has made a decision that's going to affect her life, and. Um, and I'm feeling that, and I'm realizing, so this is what it means to be woman in 1816. Hmm. And I could have I gone to a history class and read about it. Mm-hmm. I could have gone to a sociology class and learned about it, but now I've experienced it. And now it's I totally have different. her experience, which mm-hmm. is my experience, and I'm, I'm twice the person that I was when I walked into the class. I have a different perspective. I understand. I see. I feel, and um, in you know, I have an empathy that I didn't have before. I'm a more empathetic person because I've been there. I've done that. I've lived through that. So all the things that the school says we're trying to accomplish in terms of empathy and and understanding and empowering, I just have become something that I wasn't an hour ago, and I suddenly I. You know, a part of a liberal education is to see other points of view. I got that other point of view. Uh-huh. I just lived through it. I just did it. Wow. And so I, I have a different understanding of how the world works. I have my own understanding, and I have hers. And even though I may not change my understanding uh, or agree with her, at least I understand that there's more to life than my understanding. And isn't that really what is supposed to happen in a liberal education is we're supposed to get a clearer picture of reality. And one way you do that is to get outside of your own own way of thinking and take on someone else's Become way of thinking. Become multi-dimensional. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. 
That's absolutely. I'm absolutely fascinated. You, you just changed my perspective to reading, too. Probably a lot wow. of people. <laughs> that's that's amazing. That I just heard. So let's move on to sort of the last section. Sure. Um, do you have any plans going to your retirement? After you retire, are you going to write? Are you going to, well, what are you going to do? So Re- read moving, for leisure? I'm moving to Oregon. Okay. Which is a long way away. Uh-huh. Uh, and partly that's motivated to be with uh, my oldest son and his family of five. Mm-hmm. five okay. Kids. Wow. That's um, a big family. And, um, I mean, there. Are th- I don't. Plan is too strong. I don't have a plan because uh-huh. it, it's going to be a whole new way of life for me. But yeah. um, I want to. I want to do several things. I want to pick up my French horn again and, and get back into practice with my French horn. French horn, interesting. I want to do more woodworking. I've started making things fifteen years ago, furniture and so forth. I want to. I want to work on that. Mm-hmm. Do I, I like working with wood? Mm-hmm. Um. I, I would like to actually pick up, see if I have any skill for cooking. <laughs> I think that would be kind of fun to help out, help out my wife a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, my, my big, uh, some of my big pastime in the summer is I, I do a lot of gardening and yard work. I find mm-hmm. it very relaxing and creative. I like that. A lot of problem solving, which I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, I do intend to do a lot of reading. Mm-hmm. I may be asked to help with homeschooling some of my grandkids. Yeah, they are being homeschooled right now mm-hmm. since the COVID. That's uh, yeah, and um, yeah, one of them is is going to be in seventh grade next year, and mm-hmm. so I'm gonna uh, I could help maybe with yeah. reading and writing with that. Of course. So those are my uh, sort of short term. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the sort of the plans that I have right now. Mm-hmm. I want to get involved with. Uh, the the Catholic parish in the neighborhood. Mm. Maybe do some teaching through that. So it's a lot of things. Wow. Yeah, I don't know how much it will all work out, but <laughs> yeah. I hope it does. I mean, I, 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 mean, I would envision have having the time to do that. Yeah, exactly. Much more free time. So. You don't have any sort of anyone telling you to go anywhere anymore. You can do. I hope. <laughs> I you hope. You're right. <laughs> I hope you're right. <laughs> That's true. Are you gonna write or? Um, I do. I do enjoy. Some writing, uh, uh-huh. publish a book. Uh, well, no, fulfill no, no, your publisher dream. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I suppose I will. You will, but no, not publish a book. Uh, I suppose I will do some writing, but okay, just for my own, my own. That's absolutely fair. Status. If you ever change your mind and publish a book. Yeah. yeah that would be amazing that would be that <laughs> would be amazed too yeah like <laughs> that's your dream at the start isn't it or uh it used to be a dream uh, I, mean, I started a novel 45 years ago and i looked through it the other day and i thought mm, i don't know it's not too late you know that's not too late it's no. not too late not too so late. you don't know yeah. so are you gonna miss nmh a lot You'd say, oh, sure, yeah. This is forty years. Home. It's forty years. It's most of your life. Most of my life. Yeah. Can I ask how old are you right now? Or I'm in my late sixties. Late sixties. Yeah. Wow. So, so that's two thirds of your life. Exactly. That's a long um, time. Yeah. First of all, I'm going to miss the hills and the woods yeah. and the meadows. Yeah. For uh, the last thirty years, we've lived 
two houses on campus, and both of them had fields in front of the house, mm-hmm. big fields. One down by the farm, and the horses on the on the the farm meadows, mm-hmm. and now on the back loop, uh, Stonecutter Row there, Stonecutter mm-hmm. Road, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that beautiful meadow, mm-hmm. I'm going to miss that for mm-hmm. sure. And every day I walk through the woods to get to uh, to get to get to beverage, mm-hmm. and I have this beautiful walk through the woods. Um, behind Ford Cottage, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm going to miss that. Because gonna, we're going to be living trip, in, yeah. in the we're city. We're going to be living in a city yeah. that the neighborhood is pretty pretty mundane. There's nothing really serious or attractive. Do you love about. nature? I do. Yeah. I do. I do. Um, Maybe so that's, that's the your first thing. The lately retirement plan. <laughs> um, well, in Oregon, we I mean, we do, Oregon is loaded with hiking areas and trails mm-hmm. and so forth. Okay. It's, it's a, m- a mountainous state. Mm-hmm. The, the coast is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. So I'm not worried about not finding places to hike, but just not having it right outside the door. That's yeah. different. Um, oh, that's, yeah, of course. So that's what I'm going to miss. The other thing I'm going to miss a lot is just the, the complete uh, enjoyment I have talking with my colleagues about certainly about teaching, but about books and about learning and about um, a particular text or something that, I, that we've read in common. Mm-hmm. Um, just to have, just to be surrounded by people who like to talk and read and read and talk and talk about their reading and read about their talking. <laughs> I, I, you know, that's, that's a yeah. great privilege. Um, and students too. And I mean, students too, absolutely. Yeah. So um, to have that several hours of every day for the last 40 years and then to go from that to maybe going a whole week without having a conversation about reading, uh, that could be difficult. Yeah, that seems like a pretty big jump. So I'm going yeah, to miss a that. Big transition, yeah. Um, I'm going to miss uh, the dining hall. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Why oh, I just, uh, it, the just, food is amazing. Yeah. The food here, there's so it's, much it's, of it, and yeah, it's so well made. And yeah. So there's that. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 I uh, yeah, there's going to be a lot to miss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will not miss certain things, but there will be plenty that I do miss, and I, I'm, I'm a little nervous just how to make that transition, but we'll figure that out. Yeah. Wow, That's, that sounds exciting. One last question. Sure. Or actually, t- probably two more. That's but fine. Do you have any words of wisdoms or tips, life advices for people that are listening? For me too, and everyone. With your 40 years of being here. And um, I guess one thing that has become really clear to me as a teacher is that most of us walk around with our eyes closed huh. and our ears closed. Can you expand a little bit? And, yeah, I, th- I mean, there's so much in front of us all the time. And I don't just mean listen to the birds, although that's part of it. Especially like, when you're at mm-hmm. on, on Mount Hermon campus, there are birds and there are butterflies and there are beautiful things to look at but mm-hmm. but um i mean it's it's in, in a sense it starts with reading do you are you paying attention to the words or are you just looking for the idea hmm. when you start reading for the words and you see this word instead of that word do you pay attention and say wow this word i mean the writer uses green green is not the same as blue it's close <laughs> but the writer chose green what do you know about the word green and, yeah. and and take a moment to to think green. Okay, green is this. Green is that. Green is the grass. That's true. Green is 
A greenhorn is someone who's young and, and new to something. Green with envy. Uh, green can be a color of sickness. You know, your face looks green. Yeah. Green can mean a lot of things, right? And the writer mm -hmm. chose green. So pay attention to that. Pay attention to, as you walk down from the dining hall to your classroom. Are you, did, did, you, did you see Mount Mananak today? It was beautiful. The clouds mm. over it, um, or the you know the, the the tall high white clouds, or maybe mm. you didn't see it today because of the low clouds. Um, did you notice that these trees are are in a different place today in terms of their the leaves coming out than they were on Friday when you walked by this place? You know, are you noticing? I mean, I, every day I take a look at the redwood tree across mm -hmm. uh, from the rack. Mm -hmm. We have a redwood tree on campus. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. A redwood tree in New England. Mm. Interesting. I have never that. noticed. There it is. Yeah. It's been there for years, and everybody thinks, oh, the Redwoods are out in California. Well, there's one here on Mount Hermon campus right across really? from the rack, the front door of the rack, yeah. That's a... And there's a... Wow. There's an elm tree right next to it that is the most stately, beautiful, noble elm tree I've ever seen. You know, it's it's, really? it's huge. So pay attention to that, you know. Look, open your eyes, pay attention. That's and then, so true. And that extends then to people. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a lot of people who, who just shut down, you know, they shut down the PGs. Oh, they're just PGs. Oh, they're, you know, they're only here for you. Oh, they're all sports guys. They're jocks. Well, that might be true. Most cases it's not true, but some cases that's true. But they're also human beings. Are you paying attention to them as human beings? Are you paying attention to the people that are in your life? Are you paying attention to who's sitting, who you're sitting next to in the dining room? Are you paying attention to... That kid in the class who either talks too much or never talks at all. Are you paying attention? Or are you just, you know, we, 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 we are so good at classifying and categorizing. We, we work with information. Oh, so you're this. Okay, I, I, I know, you know. Oh, so you're this kind of student or you're that nationality or you're this ethnic background. Okay, so I got that all figured out. And I don't have to pay attention Prejudice. to you. Mm. I don't have to pay attention to you because I, I know everything there is to know about that, right? Yeah. No. Not true, hmm. not true. So wake up, pay attention, open your eyes, open your ears. Which means that you have to walk around without earbuds, <laughs> which is scary for most people. That's a scary thing. The silence, getting lost in their own thoughts is a scary thing. And so it's much easier just to hide behind the media, the social media, and let that do your thinking for you. Let that fill your mind so that you don't have to do anything. That's scary. But if you, if you are intentional about being alert, being awake, that's when you really feel most alive, is that you are taking in reality. You're not, you're not hiding yourself from reality. You're taking it in and working with it. You're letting it change you. You're letting it live in you, and you are living in it. And, and that's when you know, I'm alive. I'm a human being. I'm not a lamppost. I'm not a chair. I'm a human being. So yeah. my yeah, so my advice is wake up. Be alert. Open up your ears, open up your eyes. Use your hands. Start living real life instead of just going through the motions, trying to get through easy. Wow. That might be the best tip for the 21st century. I don't know. Mm, maybe I, I, I wouldn't make that it's, statement. It, it's it's a really big statement, but I think that's what the tw that's what us living in twenty first century most needs. Yeah. Because with digital, with 
I think social we media, like we're yeah. not being present anymore. Right. Right. And what you said was just amazing. Like, I mean, how I walk around with earbuds and I, I miss a lot of details. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I like the walk from go there uh, or be, or from library to dining hall. I've done this so many times. So I'm just, you know, yeah. going through the motions. Yeah. I don't notice changes, but like, what you just said, the redwood tree or the elm tree, I haven't noticed it. It's been there all this it's time. It's been there all this time. Yeah. <laughs> sounds amazing. <laughs> what? Wow. That, that, that's crazy. Okay. But on, do you want to give a guess of how long we've been here? How long you and I have been here right yeah. now? Yeah. Uh, I would say 45 minutes. 45? Really? Yeah, you're off by 23 minutes. We've been here for for an hour and eight minutes. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. Well, time Did you have a, having fun. You know? Yeah, of course. <laughs> this, I was just want to ask you this la one last question I ask everyone that comes to our podcast. Did you have a good time here today? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I was nervous yeah. about this. I thought, what, really? what kind of questions are you going to ask? <laughs> yeah, I know. I was kind of nervous, too, because, like, I mean, I, I've never taken a class or, like, yeah. felt like I didn't know you, but... You've changed my perspective on a lot of things today. Oh, like, well, thank you. Yeah, and it's, it's absolutely amazing. Talk. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, really appreciate it. And it's absolutely amazing to have you here. I'm so fortunate well, thank you. to have done this. But yeah. Keep doing this. This is a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to get a lot of yeah, it sounds people. Like right? You said 23 of them so far, right? Like 20, 21, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're the 21st. That's great. Um, much more coming, though. But... For listeners, thank you all so much for listening, and I will see you in the next episode. Bye. <laughs>